If you'll take a moment and look on the back side of your program, you will see that beginning next Sunday, we're starting a whole new series of services. We're calling it Building Blocks uh, to, to Building a, a Christ-like Life. And I think it's going to be a very important series for us. Uh, we don't normally do them 10 weeks in length, but uh, we feel like it's going to be that important. Uh, this is going to be some of the most basic fundamental things to you being able to have a significant connection with Christ and a uh, significant amount of, of uh, joy and peace and, and love, etc. in your life. And so uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that for those weeks. Uh, we're also going to be having a discussion guide inside your program every Sunday for all of those weeks that will be a part of your small group time in the week. So your share group will be joining the conversation uh, the week following the Sunday that uh, we speak on a given topic. Uh, if you're sitting there and you're going, gee, I wish I had gotten in a group because I might like to get in on that conversation. Well, this is the perfect time for you to get in on a small group. And so uh, we have some information brochures on the table out here. Or you can check the website and see what groups meet on what days of the week. Or you can see Dana right down here on the front who uh, oversees all of our small groups. And uh, this would be the perfect time for you to uh, get involved in a small group, see what it's all about, and join the conversation that we'll be having over those weeks. All right. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. So if you uh, want to open up your New Testament and find Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, you'll be ready to read along with us in just a moment. About a week ago... I uh, watched the Basketball Hall of Fame induct the newest members of that fraternity. Uh, one of those was David Robinson, a longtime, you know, superstar center for the San Antonio Spurs. Another was John Stockton, right out of Spokane, Washington, who had been the longtime point guard for the Utah Jazz. And the last one was who? Anybody remember that player? Michael Jordan. You heard about that. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you happen to watch the induction ceremony, but it's a rather formal kind of gathering for athletes. Uh, it's in a pretty ornate theater. Thousands of people attend. The guys are in tuxedos. The ladies are in evening gowns. And uh, as a part of the program, the inductees give a brief speech and they typically say something of uh, a word of appreciation to coaches and teammates that have helped them succeed through the years they usually make reference to mom and dad in some kind of way and to their spouse and they usually speak some kind of word of affirmation to their children and it's just a kind of an inspiring and uplifting moment and usually there's uh, some kind of reminiscing about some of the things that happened in their their uh, basketball career David Robinson, John Stockton, both had their turn. Uh, I loved, I, I loved watching them play through all the years, and so I loved hearing their speech and uh, hearing the references they made to different people for different things that had happened in their lives. And then there literally was like this drum roll and crescendo, and it went up another whole notch for the introduction of Michael Jordan who, uh, yeah, some would consider arguably to be the best player ever in the game of basketball. 
Most of you know he uh, won a collegiate championship. He won six NBA championships. He was five-time most valuable player in the NBA. He uh, won a gold medal with the Olympic team. Uh, we could go on and on and on about all that uh, Michael Jordan accomplished in the game of basketball. And, of course, he also became a very prominent pitch man, right? So he became the face of Nike. He uh, was on Gatorade commercials all over the world. Uh, Hanes underwear has been the more recent of his uh, products. But uh, at one point, he was the most recognizable person on the planet. And the tag that often went after his name was, Be Like Mike. Remember? Be Like Mike. So everybody was anticipating him coming up, and I was looking forward to hearing his uh, remarks. Anybody else hear his remarks? Uh, okay, about five or six of you. It was so disappointing. David Robinson and John Stockton had been full of class and had been honorable in the way they remarked about everyone that had been involved in their career. And Michael Jordan got up there and gave the most self-centered, self-serving remarks that you can imagine. And the only time he made reference to other people, coaches, players, things like that, was to talk about how their resistance to him motivated him to be even greater and he just had to prove how he was greater than all of them. And even more sadly, when it came to making reference to his children, the best he could do was say, Well, I tell you, I sure would hate to be a child of Michael Jordan. What a lot to live up to. You guys got it really hard. I feel bad for you. And I, I was groaning. I just could not believe that he had taken such a revered moment and basically trashed it. But what was even more sad, and I've been a long time Michael Jordan fan, what was even more sad was just to acknowledge the reality. This is an empty guy. This is a bankrupt guy. He's had all the fame, all the celebrity, all the millions and millions of dollars. He's had the world adore him, and he is empty and bankrupt. He, he was the picture of discontentment. And he's had it all. So if there's nothing else that we glean from... That little performance last week, it's this. Contentment is not associated with what you're able to achieve or what you're able to acquire. Because he had it all and he was not happy. It raises the question, do you live a life of contentment? If you did what Aubrey did and kind of did a little self-assessment, where would you rate on the contentment scale 1 to 10? Okay, so maybe you divide it up in a pile like she did, and some of it's more content than others. What's the low end? What's the piece that keeps nagging and, and gnawing at you? What is that thing? Well, for these weeks, we've been looking in the book of Philippians. And Paul has been teaching us and showing us 
how it is the heart of God. It is the intent of God to bless you. He's a God of blessing. And we've been talking about how He wants to bless you with a changed life. He wants to bless you with a sense of purpose. He wants to bless you with peace and serenity. And He wants to bless you with contentment. A sense of it being well with you. And so let's... uh, think about what Paul said, and I uh, ask you to look with me in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. So as you may recall, what we refer to as the book of Philippians is actually a letter, and it's a letter that Paul wrote to his friends who were in the church in the city of Philippi. Thus, we call it Philippians. And this was a city that Paul had visited many years prior. And he had started the church that was in Philippi. And he had led to Christ many of the people that were a part of that congregation. And through the years, as he moved on and went to other cities and started other churches and continued his ministry, these guys remained his friends and remained his supporters. Sometimes they would send him financial support. Sometimes they would send him people to physically help him in carrying out the the ministry that he was doing. So he has this fond affection for them, and thus he writes this letter that's full of joy and blessing for them. And when we get to verse 10 of chapter 4, he's beginning to wrap up the letter. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Now, that doesn't mean that they had stopped having concern for him. It means that they had had this season of lack of opportunity to give expression of their concern for him. As you may know, at this point in Paul's life and in his travels, he had literally been arrested. He is literally in prison for preaching the gospel and for starting churches. And so now they've been able to have some communication and some correspondence. And he says to them, I rejoice in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned. I I knew you were all along, but you had had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not kind of like buttering you up so you'll send me another offering. For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What do we glean from Paul with respect to this subject? Does he even know what he's talking about when he says, I've learned to be content 
in any and every circumstance. Well, he wrote another letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he gives us a little bio about some of the life challenges he did, in fact, face. For example, he says in verse 23, I have been in prison frequently. I've been flogged. I've been uh, uh, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I, I've been in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I think he knows what he's talking about. He's had a lot of hard circumstances. Arguably, some more difficult circumstances than most of us in the room. Amen? Anybody had it that hard? I know some of you have had it pretty hard. And he says, so I have learned that in every and in, in all types of circumstances to be content when I've had plenty, when I've had little, when it's been easy, when it's been hard, when it's been prosperous, when I've been in poverty. God's good. And I've been content in him. So how? How does God bless us with that contentment? How is it that we experience that? Well, the first thing that he says is that it's learned. He said in 4.11, I have learned to be content. Friends, God is not going to zap you with contentment. God does not have contentment dust and, you know, sprinkle it and you get to be content. God does life with you. God does a journey with you. And as you do life with Him and as you walk with Him, He shows you. He teaches you. He disciples you in the life of contentment. Paul said, I have learned it. Now, Paul learned it a hard way. Probably a harder way than a lot of us will have to learn it. But here's the deal. When Paul would be shipwrecked, he would find himself thrust into a trust demand situation. And he would trust with all of his heart as best he knew how. And somehow God would respond to that with well-being and contentment. Even at the times of being stoned or beaten with rods or flogged, receiving lashes on the back. Somehow he is driven into a trust, into a looking to Christ that is beyond what level of desperation most of us have ever had about that. And in doing so, God would respond to that with grace that would bring a sense of contentment. You go, well, I'm still not sure I get that. We'll talk more about it as we go along. The second thing that we see is that contentment is not dependent upon circumstances. He said, I've learned how to be content with a lot of hardships. I've learned how to be content with prosperity. Now, some of us have a little more proclivity toward contentment in one or the other of those. Some of us are way more comfortable with hardship. Have you noticed that? 
And so as long as it's hard, somehow we're like trusting and we're looking and we're following. And if it starts to get a little less hard and maybe a little more prosperous for us, we kind of sabotage that and we go right back to a hard thing because that's just kind of how we know where it is. Then there are others of us. We're real comfortable with it in prosperity, right? But you let it get a little less prosperous and we're freaking out. And we're getting angry and we're getting bitter. We're getting hard-hearted about it. And so maybe you have a proclivity to be content in one arena more than the other. But Paul said, I've learned how to be content in both those arenas. It is not dependent upon the circumstance. What are your circumstances right now? They're pretty good and prosperous. A Michael Jordan who's got it all but can't have contentment with it? Are they pretty hard? And you're like, where? I've got to have some breathing room. I'm suffocating. It's not dependent upon circumstances. And we also found out that contentment is really developed, forged in what we would call holy discontentment. You're going to say, what? Well, let me differentiate discontentment from holy discontentment, okay? Discontentment is when I am displeased with my circumstances and my situations and my state in life, and so I grumble, I mumble, I complain, I whine, my disposition becomes kind of ugly and and displeasing to be around to other people, and it's dishonoring to God and it's destructive to me. In a word, sin. So make no mistake, if you are discontented, That's sin. And you're getting on the wrong side of God and you're being destructive to your own soul. Holy discontent is not a grumbling and mumbling and and, uh, kind of anger about my state in life and so on like that. Holy discontent is a state where I recognize the goodness and the greatness of who Jesus is. What a treasure Christ is, and I want more and more and more of Him. I want to know the fullness of Christ in every sense, in every nuance. And so what we're talking about there is more of a a hunger and an appetite for God and the things of God. And in that sense, it's a holy discontent. Now, Paul had that. If you'll flip back a page and look at chapter 3 with me. In chapter 3, verse 12, he said, It's not that I've already obtained all this, all the, the goodness of Christ and all the work of Christ and all the things that Christ is looking to accomplish. It's not that I have already obtained all that or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that holy 
discontent in him. I recognize that I am not done, that I'm still incomplete, and I want more of Christ, and I want to uh, strain forward and press on and keep on running until I get all I can get of Christ. And in that kind of state, where Christ is giving more of Himself and more of Himself to you, and you are acknowledging and experiencing and appropriating more of the fullness of Christ. Contentment finds you. And then, whatever the circumstance, it doesn't matter. Because you still have Christ, and that experience of Him is at work in you. Now, I know this is a little beyond Christianity 101 and 201. So just hang with me for a minute if you're ready to check out. A few verses before, in chapter 3, Paul says, I, I found a secret. I found what it's all about. It's about knowing Christ. It's about having His person dwell within me. It's about having a relationship with Him. It's about doing life with Him. I have all these accomplishments. I have all these awards. Paul was the Michael Jordan of the faith world in his time. Be like Paul, okay? He was the guy. But then he found out that he was missing it all and that it actually was in Christ whom he had been persecuting. And so he gets this blessing of a transformed life. He gets this blessing of a new purpose to his life. He gets this blessing of a sense of peace and serenity with God and of God. And then he says all the rest of that is like refuse. That was like garbage compared to the treasure of knowing Christ. He said, I want to know the, the, the breadth and the width of Christ so much, I want to know the power of His resurrection, and I want to share in the fellowships of His suffering. Now, let me clarify what that means. The power of His resurrection was what? That was like one of the highest moments in history. When Jesus is raised from the dead, conquers death, conquers sin, atones for all humanity... He said, I want to know the height of Christ and the experiences of Christ. And I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. What happened at the trial? Gethsemane. What happened with the flogging and the beating? What happened with the carrying of the cross down the Via Dolorosa? What happened with the crucifixion and the nails piercing the hands and the feet? I want to know all of, their, uh, of what there is to know about Christ. Every nuance of what it is to know Christ. I want to know all the heights. I want to know all the depth. Now, friend, it's not natural to want to go there, to want to know Christ to that kind of breadth and depth, unless Jesus has pursued your heart and pricked your heart and begun to quicken alive your heart and given you an appetite for Him. And Paul says, when God gives me that kind of appetite, I just want to have him enlarge that appetite. I have this holy discontent. I want to know more. I want to, I want to have more of him. And in that state, 
I'm content no matter the circumstance. I can be shipwrecked. I can be beaten. I can be imprisoned. I can have plenty. I can have little. It doesn't matter. I have Christ. And it is well with my soul. It is a contented state. He goes on to let us see how this takes place for him. It begins with a, what we would call a humble introspection. He says, it's not like I've arrived. I'm not perfect. He takes stock of his life. He recognizes God's done a lot of stuff in me, but I've got a long way to go. There is this humble introspection where he is able to honestly confront his brokenness, his bustedness, his sinfulness. And, and acknowledge how much he needs Christ. And then there is this looking to Christ. And he takes it off in an athletic metaphor, an athletic picture, like a runner. He says, you know, I am, I am single-minded about this. It's like the runner who is so focused on the race, he trains he watches his diet and his nutrition. He gets plenty of rest and sleep in the night. He, and he trains and does it all over again the next day. He is single-minded. He's not going to let anything distract him from the race. He, he is opposed to all the hindrances. I'm not going to allow my affections to go toward anything else. I'm not going to find myself getting too excited about something else or someone else. It is going to be about Christ. It's going to be about the Christ race. I'm going to be all about that. One person put it this way. He makes war against all those things that would distract or dilute Christ in his life. He said, then I strain forward and press forward. I, I give it all I've got. Now, in football parlance, the way that we talk about that is we say they left it all on the field. In other words, when they, when they got on the field of competition, they played the, the game as hard as they could play the game. And they gave it everything they had. They were not saving any energy for after the game. They were not saving any energy for another game. They were spending it all right then and there in that game. It's kind of like yesterday. Anybody see the Huskies? Number three team in the nation, Southern Cal. And the Huskies left it on the field. They played the game of their lives. They put it all out there. And they took home a victory. But here's the point. There's very few things some of us have pursued with that kind of intensity. Now, some of you have. Some of you are pretty, you know, intense. You've really gone after it that way with your career. Some of you really went after it that way for your spouse. Some of you went after it for some other accolade, some other kind of award. Paul said, when you bring that kind of heart and that kind of disposition to Christ, because you recognize who he is and what a treasure he is, contentment will find you. And as you move on into chapter 4, he says, so that whatever's befallen me, whatever's happening to me, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, friends, this is not a promise that you can just extract from the context 
and put it on your, your uh, sports memorabilia or on your business memorabilia and go, you know, I'm going to climb this next hill, I'm going to charge this next challenge, and I, and I can do all things. In That's not what it's about. It's about I can face all the stuff of this world and all this life and my heart remain true to Christ. I can stay on focus and on the track with Christ because He'll give me the strength to do that. And then in uh, verse 19, He says, He's going to meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You go, okay, 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 now you're talking. Because I got a list. So let's talk about one of those things on the list, okay, real quick. I've got a financial need. And so, you know, I'm a Christ follower. I'm involved in Christ's church. I'm trying to serve Him. I'm trying to, to, to be a follower. And I've got this financial need. You know, Jesus, will you help me with this need? You've said, I'll supply all your needs according to Christ Jesus. And sometimes, you've seen it, we have testimonies. He somehow works this kind of miraculous thing and financial supply comes for your financial need. It's great. Thank you, Jesus. There are other times where he has legitimately heard your prayer, and it was a legitimate prayer, and he basically said no. And the financial supply did not come to meet the financial need And Paul would say, and that's great. Would you say that's great? He'd go, no, I wouldn't say that's great. I need my financial need met. What's what's that all about? I mean, if if Jesus is love and if Jesus wants to bless me and you're throwing all this stuff at me, then why wouldn't he meet my financial need? He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got no financial problems. He's not in an economic crisis. What's with helping me with this little need? Well... This is what's up with that little need, if you're a Christ follower. In the first place, He is allowing you and inviting you to experience Him in a hardship. We don't want to experience Him in a hardship. We want Him to take care of a hardship. He said, no, it happens like what Paul said. You get to experience me in the full breadth and depth, in the highest highs, and in some really low lows. And so here's another arena, here's another time, here's another opportunity for you to know me. Allow your heart to hunger and be desperate for me. Turn to me. You'll know me in that kind of time like you wouldn't know me in some prosperity over here. Now, I know that's not what you hear from the TV preacher, okay? I understand that. So let me be as kind as I can on that. They're wrong. And it's not biblical. Next page. So, um, the second thing that is up when you might not get that financial prayer answered is this. Christ is seen by others in your hardship. Now, what's the greatest blessing in life? I know you know the answer, but truly, really, what's the greatest blessing in life? If it is Christ, if it is knowing Him, if it is being known by Him, if it is having His life, then I want anyone and everyone around me to have that same treasure. 
And the fact of the matter is, a lot of times people can see Christ and find Christ better through you in times of hardship than through you in times of prosperity. Now, I'm not talking about scenarios where I've been stupid and I've gone out and I have been careless and I've been misspending and I've been in sin and things like that. That's another whole arena of stuff. But when I have been uh, seeking to follow Christ, have my heart in alignment with Christ, I've been trying to be obedient to Christ, and I've got this hard thing happening like finances. Sometimes he answers those prayers and then sometimes he says an answer of no. And it's good both times, both ways. Because of how we get to experience Him. And because of how others might be drawn to Him. I can tell this is going down hard. But all I can say to you, friends, is that this is not theory. It's reality. And it has been my experience, it's been the experience of some of you in this room. You know of what I speak. If Christ is the sweetest, dearest, pearl of great price, wondrous treasure, then I am willing for any kind of circumstances to be a part of my life if it allows me to know Him more richly and more deeply and more fully. So I have a friend a few years ago that uh, got diagnosed with cancer. He later told me, Scott, the best thing and the most important thing that ever happened to me was I got cancer. How in the world could he say that? Except for the fact he said, when I got cancer... All of the craziness dispersed around me. Everything got crystal clear about what's important and what's not. What's priority and what's not. Who is Christ and what role and, and what person and, and what uh, uh, you know, supremacy is he and what's not. And because of this hardship that he endured with cancer, it served to deepen and broaden and enrich his experience of Christ and and all of life. I have another friend several years ago that told me his wife, he came home one day and his wife had taken a bunch of stuff and left. She left him. And he pursued her. I tried to help in the pursuit. We talked about how things might can reconcile. And she was just done. She was totally done. And so they got a divorce. He later told me that divorce was the most important thing that ever happened in my life. Why? Because he was so happy to be through with that woman and be able to go. No, he wanted her. He wanted that marriage. He wanted it to reconcile and to make it. But it served as such a wake-up call to bring such clarity to his heart and to his mind about what's true and what's real and what's important. He said it changed the entire trajectory of my life to have had that hardship. Do you follow what I'm saying? So let me finish with this. Paul said in yet another writing, 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment 
is great gain. So the question is, do you believe that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. They fall into a trap. That's not where it is. So how do you respond to that? Do you consistently live with contentment in the wholeness of life? Not in the pie slices. The wholeness of life. Is relationship with Jesus your greatest treasure? You don't get there unless He is. Let's bow together and pray. And Father, right now I pray for my friends in the house that You would bring a fresh vision of what it means to have Jesus. A fresh vision of the life. A fresh vision of sins forgiven and a a filthy, corrupted heart made clean. And being able to day by day know the God of the universe and with six billion people and an entire universe to hold together to have him speak into my heart and to commune with me and to walk with me God give us a fresh vision and draw our heart make our hearts hungry and thirsty for you we pray for that holy discontentment and the true contentment that comes with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, friends, I just encourage you to use this moment. It's a response moment. God, my heart is not wholly yours. It's not totally yours. I just hold back so much stuff. I still struggle with trust. God, help me. Help me take a step. Help me uh, embrace you and be embraced more fully. And if there's something that we can pray for you about and all of that, use that connection card. Place it in the offering bag in just a moment. For the rest of us, let's worship the Lord with our tithes, with our offerings. Our ushers will come. And Lord, we do bless you with this offering and with these commitments in Jesus' name. Amen.